Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have two gentlemen with us on the podcast for the interview, Dick Foth. Many of you who listen to the podcast know that Dick's on frequently with the sessions of Back Channel with Foth. And then we have Mark Batterson um, as we sit down, uh, us three, and we get to discuss his new book, The Three Words That Change Everything. Please, sorry, and thanks. It's a great. It was a great time. It's a dangerous thing for a podcast host to pick favorite episodes. This was definitely one of the funnest episodes that I've ever been a part of, and really enjoyed just getting to sit down. Um, obviously, Mark and Dick have mutual admiration for each other. Um, Mark will mention that he considers Dick one of his spiritual fathers. It's just a uh, yeah, just an. an just a great, great time. One that um, I walked away with, with a smile on my face, so I know you won't be disappointed um, just as we sit down and discuss the book and the things we can learn from Mark's book, for sure. I think just the friendship and the mentorship that you'll see and hear in their voices as we discuss it. So I do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and get to uh, curate some questions and get to learn from Dick's wisdom and insight and experience. And I do want to ask you to continue to subscribe and listen to the podcast. Got some great episodes coming up throughout the summer. Um, Just another great episode and already um, recording and looking, booking and getting ready for the fall. A fall lineup that I think will will not disappoint either. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with two friends, friends of the podcast, Dick Foth. Many of you know Dick from our sessions of Back Channel with Foth. Dick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a million, Aaron. Wonderful to be here. And our good friend, Mark Batterson. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be with both of you. It's fun. And um, looking forward to just got to finish your new book and uh, one that challenged me once again. And uh, your last... I read Win the Day, and it inspired me to to try to write a book, and I wrote a book. So thanks for thanks for helping inspire me do that, and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to our time together as we talk about please, sorry, and thanks. Mark, for those who maybe Dick's on the podcast a lot, um, maybe for somebody who's listening in that don't doesn't know you, would you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm Dick Foe's friend, I guess, then I better introduce myself that way. Um, and, uh, you know, Aaron, I sometimes joke that uh, I'm 17.2% Dick Foe's um, <laughs> because he has, he has had such a profound impact on my life. Um, as Dick likes to say, he, he has left some of his fingerprints on my soul. And, you know, I consider Dick a spiritual father. Um, and so I'm, I'm, it's always a joy to do anything that anything we get to do together, whether it's hiking or speaking or eating uh, or podcasting. <laughs> um, it's a ton of fun. But besides being a friend of Dick Foth, uh, I do pastor a church here in Washington, D.C., National Community Church. Uh, fun fact, Dick and Ruth Foth were two of those original 19 Wow! Uh, way back in January of 1996, which means we've been doing this for 27 years. Wow. And, yeah. uh, and then, you know, I, I write books on the side, I guess, <laughs> is the way I would say it. Um, 
and uh, love pastoring, love writing. And then my wife, Laura, and I married 30 years. We got married young. And uh, and then we have three kids, uh, Parker, Summer, and Josiah. And they're all in their 20s. So wow. kind of a, a different stage of parenting, um, but we love it. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, Mark, that kind of helps me jump into the first question I have for you. Um, you talk about Dick and, uh, and Dick sharing with you about two kinds of people in the world, the people that are here I am and the people that are there you are. Can you share just how you learned that from Dick and um, the power of about pronouns and how, using pronouns? Yeah, well, you know, what I love is that um I'm going to pay Dick a, a compliment and he's going to hate this podcast because I'm just going to say a lot of nice things about him. <laughs> we, we've said we, we have said Dick more times in the first two minutes here. You know, <laughs> I, I can't I can't oh, put, I can't put this on my podcast. And, <laughs> but my mother, if she was still living, loved it. <laughs> well, hey, listen, like I've always said, Kevin Bacon has six degrees uh, Dick Foth only has five. It's like the five degrees of Dick Foth that everybody else. That is probably more true than uh, it might even be three or four. He, he knows everyone and everyone knows him. So, okay, boys, let's, let's move this along. Let's Come move on. it along. So, um, I, I, one of the words that I've used to describe Dick Foth, here we go again, is neotenic it's a zoological term that means the retention of youthful qualities into mm. adulthood uh, mm. and by the way anybody who does a life plan at 71 like dick did um is neotenic by default like you know at 71 still trying to figure out what he wants to do when he grows up <laughs> but i'm going to throw a second word out and uh i don't even know if this is the right word um stereophonic is that even a word mm. and, I'll yeah, explain what I okay. So here's what I mean. There, there are people who talk the talk, but then there are people who walk the talk, and and mm. their life is as loud as their words. And so, you know, Dick describes these two kinds of people. Uh, the first person here, I am. It's you know their ego kind of barely gets through the door, and it's they're pretty focused on themselves. But then that second kind of person, there you are, mm. is all of about everybody else, about adding value to other people, yeah. just has a curiosity about other people. And, and so I don't know anybody who's better at that than Dick Foth. Uh, yeah. But, but since, um, since maybe we need to bring one or two other people into the conversation, I'll give another, I'll give another example. You know, I was with John Maxwell um, a couple of months ago at a leadership event we were both speaking at. And you know what I noticed about John? Like, hmm. if you have a conversation with him, um, he's going to ask you questions and keep you talking because he's really interested and and he's about adding value to other people. So I just think the world would be a much better place if everybody was a there you are. And, and that's a pretty biblical concept, you know, yeah. consider others better than yourself. But I do think it comes down to sort of a, a sanctified curiosity about other people. And sure. uh, I, I will add one rule of life that everyone is my superior in some way in that I learn of them. 
And so that is one of the the kind of approach paths that I take to other people. But Dick, what what are what are your thoughts? You you're you're the one who said it in the first place. Well, no, I probably said it in the twelfth place, uh, and for sure I for sure I said <laughs> it after after I came to Colorado. You know, I hmm. think probably in, in our lives we have some things that are incipient or inherited, or we've learned or, or grown into. But then we come to a moment in time. Where, where it flourishes and, and it gets a name to it. Um, and when I came to Colorado, my friend here who, who pastors Darren Northrup, a and, and wonderful guy, he's a big bear of a guy raised on the western slope of Colorado. He rides horses and Harleys and all the stuff that I don't. But, <laughs> but he oftentimes, he, when, when I first got here, he was talking to the team. There were about, I don't know, eight, 18 or 20 on the team. And he, and he just said, when you walk into a room, does your presence say, here I am or there you are? And that's mm-hmm. where it got put in the language for me. So yeah. I, I can take no credit for this, although you give me credit, I, and I'm <laughs> grateful. But, but I pass it, and I'm sure he got it. I, maybe he got it from his dad, because his, his dad was, 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 I think, that way. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Good stuff. Mark, the other thing in your book, you talk about the idea when we talk about sorry, um, you speak to the reality that everyone's fighting in a battle. And many times we don't know anything about that battle. How does sorry speak into that and um, help open up doors for us? Yeah, well, I'm going to come at that from a unique angle because I had a thought uh, a couple of weeks ago that Everybody ought to carry around a picture of their five-year-old self, their kindergarten picture, and just have that available to show to people who are giving them a hard time. And that that might sound silly, but I I just think all of us are layer cakes and Mm. all of us have scars and hurts and trials and tribulations and Things that we've walked through, and I, I just think, you know, at this point, probably done ministry long enough to realize that, yeah, everybody's fighting a battle we don't know anything about. So sure. that gives me an extra measure of grace towards other people. And and so, Aaron, I feel like, you know, this, this encounter that Jesus had with the woman caught in the act of adultery, and of course, everybody else was ready to stone her to death. I think Jesus saw the five-year-old girl in Mm. that woman. Um, Mm. And so there's just something there that we're in a cultural moment where we cancel at the drop of a hat and where we troll and bait and shame uh, pretty quick. And we write people off. And, you know, Jesus gives us an ethic. Jesus gives us an example to live up to. And it's it's 70 times seven. And it's it's the image of God in me sees the image of God in you. So that's that's kind of what I'm driving at in that part of the the book. Sure. And and if I can hitchhike or or respond to that, Mark, you know, do you you think that how could that woman ever forget? uh, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do don't do that anymore. That's not what great ladies do that the power of the word and and of words and when you start the book you're talking about just that you're talking about and you use this phrase i I love this phrase 
And I love the reference point because you said, here are four words, let there be light. I, I love that whole thing. But you use this phrase that says, words create worlds. Hmm. I had the privilege this morning, just before this time, of speaking to mops, mothers of preschool children. There are people listening to this podcast who can remember something said to them that was negative hmm. when they were four. When they were fine, and they're so absorbent. I mean, it, it's such an imprint. Talk to us a bit more about words creating worlds. Yeah. Well, there is this uh, constructive conception of language that linguists talk about that our words don't represent the world objectively, our words create the world subjectively. And, you know, this gets into kind of compli complicated linguistics, but I think this idea is as old as King Solomon. The power of life and death is in the tongue, that, that words have the power to bless and the power to curse. In fact, um, I bet both of you, because you you are both so well-read and, and well-researched well and well-studied, that you probably are already know this, but uh, studies have been done with plants where uh, one of them, they played a, a recording for 30 days with negative words, demeaning, insulting words towards a plant, and the plant wilted. And, and then come another on, plant on, with, uh, I'm telling the truth, <laughs> this is all truth. Uh, I love this. Scout's <laughs> honor. And then, and then another one that a recording with like um, kind and complimentary words spoken to a plant, and it just flourished. And so I, I think what's true of plants is true of people. That, yeah. that our, our words create worlds of hurt or our words create worlds of healing. Yeah. And it really is up to us. Um, there, there's just, and, and think about it. Dogs bark, birds chirp, dolphins click, and that's great. Yeah, but they don't write novels. They don't pen poems. They they don't draft legislation. They don't score musicals. Like God has given us the unique capacity to language, yeah. and and I think um, the original intent for that language, by the way, is to use our words to bless that that the first recorded words of God to us. Mm -hmm. Our words of blessing. And I tell you what, if we if we just followed suit, the world would be a much better place. Yeah. Mm. It's a good word. Good word. Mark, that reminds and Dick, I've been reading the book, just finished it up on Jim Thorpe, um, Path Bit Path Lit by Lightning. Phenomenal book. Yes. Uh, just insightful of him. Uh, you know, it's a, a story of high and lows, his life was. But throughout the book, the, the author quotes Alexander Pope, and he says, Lo, the poor Indian. And this idea, Dick, of you sharing about the power of words, it was something that was spoken into Jim Thorpe's life and something that he repeated throughout his life. And Mark, you share about the power of counteracting hurtful words with blessings. Any, any guidance on how we can speak blessings into people's lives when they've been hurt, like somebody like Jim Thorpe, by a statement um, from somebody that was yeah trying to hurt him? So, so, and Jim and Jim Thorpe was maybe the most uh, known, best Native American athlete yes. in our history. Is that do I have that right? 
For sure. Some, and, at, and at a time, he was, you know, he's a phenomenal, he was the best, best athlete in the world. Um, but well, just this idea of who he was, he kept getting yeah. attacked um, for, you know, who Greg created him to be. Yeah, well, we have about 60 thoughts a day, according to the Cleveland Clinic, and about 80% of them are negative. So we have this negativity bias that we all have to overwrite and overcome. And one thing I would say up front, Aaron, is that scripture is our script cure. The, the best way to overwrite our negative narratives is to uh, allow the word of God to renew our minds, allow mm. the word of God to reset our hearts and spirits. Um, but then I think we've been commissioned you know, we've got to find ways to speak words of blessing. And, you know, very practical example, when when our three kids were small, uh, I started just pronouncing this blessing over them, Luke 2.52. May you grow in wisdom and stature hmm. and in favor with God and with man. And I, I've pronounced that on them thousands of times. And yeah. so I think that gets into the subconscious. I, I yeah. think that um, begins to overwrite some of those negative narratives. Uh, so, you know, the best way to break a bad habit is to create a good habit. And so in the same sense, uh, there are things we should not say. I mean, God said to Jeremiah, do not say I am too young. Why? Because all you're doing is reinforcing a negative narrative. Yeah. All you're doing is giving power to those negative words. So there are some things that we need to stop saying but I would also say we need to kind of declare declare the word of God. In fact, um, Dick, there, there's uh, I want you to share what you told your Bible study, uh, Gospel of Mark, that you were going through. You told them not just to read it, but to do to read it out loud. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I think that that the reading out loud does a couple of different things. Um, you know, when, when you speak, you hear it in your head and you hear it through your ears. So you're hearing it a couple of different ways. And I being an, an, um, a former stutter, I still stutter when I get tired, but uh, some stuttering is called, caused physically because the anvil stirrup in your ears fires a hundred thousandth of a second late. So it's like mm. having reverb. You go the 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 like that. But the mm. fact is that you're that happens because you're hearing it both places. There's something about uh, audibly uh, speaking, and th this comes back to your to your point that God said that reinforces it in a reinforces whatever you're reading in a in a profound way. Um, can I hitchhike on that? To, that's the second time I've used hitchhike on this conversation, but I'd like to, you know, I'm talking to two guys <laughs> who are readers. You are readers. You know, Aaron reads like there's no tomorrow and and you read like there's no yesterday, Mark. I have no idea what that means. It just sounded like I should say it. <laughs> Between the two of you, you know, you could you could fund Barnes and Noble or Amazon till the cows come home. And 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 you, and you have these wonderful factoids that you share, right? So I'm going to say a couple of things that you wrote, Mark. I'd like you to respond to them. If a child 
smiles 400 times on average a day and asks 125 questions a day. And an adult, by the time we get to adulthood, we smile 20 times a day and ask six questions. I'm saying, wow, we're losing ground big time. Yeah. I love what G.K. Chesterton says, you know, I'm, I'm wading through a biography of his where he says, God has this appetite for infancy. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines he uses that I love is, for we have sinned and grown old, and our God is younger than we. And in a culture where staying physically young is an idol, a fetish, if you will, how can we swap that out? Using your words coming back at you, Mark, how can we swap that out for being childlike? I don't, you know, I'm saying my body's going to go. I mean, it's already, it's almost gone, you know, but the, but how, do, how does one keep swap that out for a childlike spirit? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, Dick, just for the record, I think you're. I think you look great for 81 trips around the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the money later. Go okay. Ahead. Um, well, when I was 21 years old, I read a 800-page biography on Albert Einstein, and page 722 changed the trajectory of my life. I read one thing that Einstein said. He said. Never lose a holy curiosity. And it was the juxtaposition of those two words, holy and curiosity, that I don't know what happened, but I got interested in everything. Like there's hardly anything that's not interesting to me. And and so, Dick, it seems to me like it's reawakening to the, the miracle of life that we're living that Okay, right now it feels like we're sitting still, but we're on a planet that's spinning at a thousand miles an hour and speeding through space at 67,000 miles per hour. So even on a day where we didn't get much done, we did travel 1.6 million miles through space. And and there are people who would say, I've never experienced a a miracle. Well, with all due respect, you have never not. Um, You are living a miracle. So I think it's, it's, Seeing with spiritual eyes, it's it's this, it's kind of recapturing the wonder, uh, childlike wonder, um, and and of course, I think all of this is part and parcel of what Jesus meant when he said you have to become like little children. So I guess, Dick, technically, the way I would interpret that is Jesus was saying, ask 119 more questions, big people, <laughs> and smile 380 more times. Yeah, And then we go. now we're getting closer. Now we're getting closer to what God has called us to. Yeah, it's good. Good word. Mark, one of the other things you, you share in the book is the idea on focusing on the common enemy or focusing on the common humanity. Um, and, and you, Dick, you've lived in the political world of D.C. And Mark, your your church is in the middle of the um, uh, that that political world. Can you share about the the power and the difference between those two of focusing on the common enemy or focusing on the common humanity? Yeah, there's. Uh, I I think that distinction 
might come out of um, kind of this identity politics uh, tends to revolve around just the niche set of interests that that I have. And, and I want to be careful here because some of those niche uh, needs or issues need to be represented. Can I get an amen? Yes. But the problem with common enemy is that anybody who doesn't look like me, think like me or vote like me, in other words, anyone who's part of an outgroup, I demonize and I look down on or I treat differently. And uh, I, I would argue that biblically, when you reverse engineer Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you, you come up with common humanity, that the image of God in me greets the image of God in you. And I'm not allowed to treat anybody anything any less than the very image of God. And so common humanity humanizes uh, people who don't look like me, think like me, vote like me. In fact, maybe I have one or two things to learn from them. So it's, it's a very kind of humble approach that if you want to understand, you have to stand under. And uh, so I, I think, um, our culture, and especially in the political sphere, we're, we've trended towards common enemy, uh, which may win a few votes in the next election cycle, but doesn't help with the ultimate kind of direction or vision or where where we're headed as a people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and if I can, if I can just say, and it and it raises millions of dollars for whichever side you're on. Wow. And you lose your and and you you're in in uh, in jeopardy sometimes of losing your soul in the process. Hmm. And um, it was interesting. I have a friend who's written speeches for senators and congressmen and other uh, luminaries over the years for the last fifty years. And he was out here in Colorado with us. We were doing a little thing uh, in front of a couple of hundred folks. And and I said to him, I I said, you know, we sitting out here in the hinterlands, we think we think Washington. DC is terrible. And he looked at me and grinned and said, Oh, it's way worse than you think it is. And what tremendous opportunities there are yeah. because of that. Yeah. And I just, I just, um, I like, I like that common humanity piece because, well, I, all of us here have found it, have found it to be true. You know, you're you're in the medical world, and I I think our blood looks alight when it when it flows, doesn't it? I mean, that's just it does, it does, it does for sure, for sure. Mark, uh, oh sorry, Dick, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I insist. No, 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 go, go. I'll edit it out. Okay, the old old guy's gonna ask one more. Yeah. So here's here's the deal. If IQ, as you state in your book, is twenty percent of one's success and EQ. So in intelligent quotient and EQ emotional quotient is 80%. How does that work? I mean, if IQ isn't learned generally, I mean, it might be sharpened, but it's, it's generally what you have, right? But at some level EQ is learned and your, the book, if I 
get it correctly in no small part is tilted toward how do we how do we help EQ flourish by understanding these three uh, simple ideas but profoundly uh, impacting um, uh, methodologies or practices talk to me about EQ and and how we how we do better yeah well, you know, it was Daniel Goldman who wrote kind of that groundbreaking book a couple of decades ago. And and he did argue that 80% of the factors leading to success have to do with emotional intelligence. I guess I'm kind of pushing that envelope a little bit and saying that the greatest predictor of success in life and love and in leadership is your proficiency at three very simple yet powerful words, please, sorry, and thanks. Nothing opens doors like please, nothing mends fences like sorry, nothing builds bridges like thanks. And so a PhD is great, but PST, please, sorry, thanks, that's what changes the culture at work. That's what restores broken relationships. That That's how you grow a relationship with God. That's how you win friends and influence people. So I, the way I would say it is, and, and this sounds so simple, but if you are good at please, sorry, and thanks, you're good to go. I'm not worried about your marriage. <laughs> you're going to be fine. Uh, I'm not worried about the promotion at work. You're probably going to get it because it's the people that that are really good at those three words. But But I would also say there's an art and science to them, which is Part of why I wrote a whole book about it, that, sure. that there are stories and studies that like, but then ultimately, like, they're only as effective as they are authentic. Yeah. And so somehow we, we've got to, we've got to make our please, sorry, and thanks authentic to us and unique expressions of us. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of where the, the book is pointing. Yeah. Only only you, Mark, would juxtapose a PhD over against PST. I'm just saying that. How does how does the boy do that? I just keep saying that. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dick, I'm in a you'll you'll get the first honorary PST. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, it it might not be worth the paper it's printed on, but we'll see if we can't work out a uh, honorary PST degree. I'm loving it. That's good. That's good. Hey, both Mark and Dick, I'd both, this is kind of a question for both of you, because when I look at your lives, this is something I think this, I, Mark, you share about the idea of please, sorry, and thanks. And it encourages a legacy that's more about what others accomplish because of you rather than a legacy about what you accomplish. And I look at both of your lives. Um, and that's what I would see in both of you, that you're, you're leave, you've left a legacy about what you're hel- helping others accomplish rather than saying it's all about me and what I'm accomplishing. Can you just speak to that, both of you, on, yeah, on why you've chosen the focus of that to be your life rather, what others do rather than what you do? Um, well, I, I do think legacy is not what you accomplish. Legacy is what others accomplish because of you. I... I'm not, I'm not a poet and I know it, but I do have a few favorite lines of poetry. And one of them is the 1849 Edgar Allan Poe is all that we see or seem 
but a dream within a dream. And it was kind of made famous by Christopher Nolan and the movie Inception. Okay. But it's this idea that none of us dream in a vacuum. Uh, We drink from wells we did not dig. We eat from fields we did not plant. We live in houses we didn't build. And so I, Aaron, I am so convinced that if you are someone who honors those who have gone before you, it it will open doors um, unlike anything else, but it you have to do it genuinely. Like you actually have to want to learn from and, and honor. Um, and, you know, some people are just, some people like Dick Foth, it is just so easy to do that. Um, but I, I do think, uh, National Community Church, um, whatever the Lord does in and through me, um, I I tip my cap to a handful of people, uh, a father-in-law that had a profound impact on me, even though he he passed when I was in my late 20s, um, still had a profound impact, Bob Schmidgall, um, Dick Foth. Um, you know, th- this past weekend, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Easter, we hosted the Easter sunrise at the Lincoln Memorial. Um, I mean, there may have been 10,000 people there. It was, it was unbelievable to declare Christ is risen on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, newsflash, we didn't start that. Uh, Pastor Amos and Sue Dodge hmm. uh, in 1979 had a, a thought that he thought was a thought. But it was a God idea, and they were faithful to that vision for 42 years, and uh, and then we began hosting it this year. And so when I when I think about legacy, I think about someone like that that they're handing something off that we didn't do anything to deserve it, we didn't do anything to create it, but now our job is to steward it. And the, the last thing I would say is that whatever God does for us is, is never just for us. It's always for that third and fourth generation. So we've got to keep our eye on how we empower uh, other people. It's a good word. Dick? And I think, you know, that's so, that's so good, what you just said, Mark. And the, this idea of being able to look down the road to worlds, people's worlds that haven't been created yet, right? I I often joke about when you become a grandparent, and we have 12 from 31 to 7, uh, 12 grandkids. When you become a grandparent, um, you start feeling immortal because you're going past the next generation. When you're a great-grandparent, you're just officially old. And the... <laughs> the <laughs> but the... But, and, and, and those... And... and we live in a time when people like me are saying, God help our, our grandkids and our great grandkids. And our because it, it's not looking good. You know, it's look, it's such a huge challenge, but that's not on us. That's on him. That other piece about what we do with our moment in time is the thing that's the seedbed for a lot of other things coming down the road. And if if our forefathers, both here and in old countries, wherever those old countries were, 
could see now in lives of uh, of their uh, of their families generations after that have found faith god has found them uh, they would be cheering and and you know my theology probably allows for that they are cheering you know yeah. but i just uh, i'm i'm grateful this idea that you that you bring up about legacy is really interesting, and it, it triggered. And I haven't told this story forever, but I'll I'll hurry with this. Um, I, I was doing a a a, a military dependence retreat in Berchtesgaden, West Germany, back in the day in the seventies, and we had uh, we did a thing that I had learned from somebody else, where we took a paper cup. And we passed it around, and it was at a time when there was this tension in the 60s and 70s between, well, sometimes between the Jesus Revolution and the church institutions. And the question was, do to this paper cup what you would like to do to the church hmm. or with the church? And people would fray the edges, and, and then you have a paper cup, and you got eight people, and you pass it to the next guy. And it came to a young man, 17, 18 years old, and um, he took the cup and he shredded it into confetti and just put it on the ground, stomped on it. And the next guy was an old 70-something-year-old preacher who got down on his hands and knees and picked up every, every piece mm. and wept over it. Because that's part of legacy is what do you what do you do with what you have going forward? And and I don't want to skew the conversation by using this illustration, except to say that there are some things that need to go away and there are some things that need to be kept. And we don't always know which those are. So that's why we have to have the word and prayer, as Mark suggests, as being the fountainhead of everything else that we have going forward. And I just. Uh, I'm just, I'm grateful that there are people in my life, like my father-in-law, Roy Blakely, and like Howard Momstead, the scientist from Illinois, and from Paul McGarvey, the high school backfield football coach, and Tex Groff, my my senior by 15 years. And they all had some kind of impact on on me and on Ruth. And uh, and I sense it, and, and, and by how we walk and and talk and and um, speak to our faith and walk it out. That's where the impact comes for folks down the road. And uh, I don't know that we'll ever know that, but it uh, prayerfully, hopefully, it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Mark, do we have time for one more question? Yep. You talk about peacemaking, and uh, this will be the last one, um, and four principles of peacemaking at NCC. Would you be able to share those? I think they're timely for the world we live in today, and um, specifically our current environment. So, yeah. Yeah. You know what's fun, Aaron, is it was a a youth pastor and our NCC youth who first coined these four principles of peacemaking, which... uh, I think is fantastic. Here they are. One, ask anything. Two, listen well. Three, uh, disagree freely. And four, love regardless. Hmm. And, and so I think that's a posture. And right now, posture is so critical 
Uh, I just think we we need to be standing in the gap as peacemakers, grace givers, and tone setters. And uh, you know, our posture is one of of humility. Our posture is one of um, even and and this is something I'm really learning in counseling right now. Uh, I have a counselor who just uh, beats this drum, and it's non-anxious curiosity. Hmm. Uh, and by the way, this goes back to Dr. Uh, Murray Bowen and family systems therapy. Sure, that he talked a lot about uh, a good a good mother, but I think it goes for fathers has a genuine non-anxious curiosity about their kids. Yeah. And uh, there's something profound in that. Um, and so I think these, these principles of peacemaking, which, and, and I think we could easily substitute the word shalom. And mm. uh, that, that's what we're trying to bring to the, the world. Uh, um, and I might even ask the question of everybody listening, when you walk into the room, does the anxiety level go up or down? Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge indicator of how we're leading. And of course, it was Dr. King who said, uh, we are not uh, thermostats that reflect room temperature. We are called to be, um, or thermometers, we're called to be thermostats that yeah. change the temperature uh, and so I, I think these four principles of peacemaking are, are an important posture in a culture that is more and more divided and where everybody is blaming everybody else for everything. Yeah. Uh, we got to stand in that gap with these four principles. For sure. Dick, any thoughts on those? Uh, I think, you know, those are the things I told him to say. And it seems to be working. No, it's not. <laughs> I love it. No, you know, I think that I think the, that that point that Mark made that these came from the young people. Hmm. Where did they get that? You know, you know, and it and it speaks to that Jeremiah thing. You're not too young. Yeah, you're you know you you're you're malleable. You're you're trying to look at a world and say, how in the world do I navigate this? And in those four simple uh, couplets or straightforward couplets, it, I mean, it it captures it. I love that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, it's been an honor and joy to hang out with you both this, this evening. Um, Mark, will you pray for us? Yeah, I, I would love to do it. And Aaron, just a heartfelt thanks for your uh, life and ministry and everything that you do. Uh, you're, you're an inspiration to both Dick and I. And so what a joy to be able to just, uh, hop on a call and have a conversation, but I, I'd love to pray. Father, we just, uh, take a moment to just say, thank you, Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Uh, we, we didn't even get to that thanks word, but we are just so thankful and uh, we know that whatever we don't turn into praise turns into pride. So we want to be careful to mm. give you the praise for all the good things that you have done. You are a good God who loves us. And so we just take a moment to count our blessings and to say thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to embody the way that Jesus loved people and talked to people and treated people. May we embody the grace and the truth of Jesus 
Uh, may we be a light to our generation, to those around us who are in darkness. And mm-hmm. we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.